Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. He is good. And I invite you this morning, if you would, to grab your Bibles, if you have one with you this morning, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. If you're looking for that, just go to 2 Corinthians and make a left, and uh, it'll be, uh, it's pretty easy to find there. It's in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 11 this morning, be looking at pretty much a, a just a probably the most well-known passage uh, that we have, the well, most well-known teaching and detailed teaching that we have about uh, the observance or the ordinance of communion, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. So as you're finding that passage, as I said earlier, I want to be one of the many people to have wished you a happy new year by now. We're three days in. We're three days in, so how's your 2021 going uh, three days in? Hopefully it hasn't gone off the rails yet. I mean, in 2020, we got three months before everything went off the rails, so hopefully everything, uh, hopefully everything is going well for you now. If you're a Kentucky fan, 2021 is already looking way better than 2020 did. Uh, both, of them got a, both of them got a win yesterday, so the basketball team even won. That's amazing. Uh, so I never thought I'd actually th- say that we're becoming a football school, but it looks like that's happening. Uh, so anyway, but... Uh, how many of you are actually, you say, hey, you know what? I am really stoked. I'm jacked up and I'm ready for 2021. I was ready to see 2020 go and I'm really ready for a new year. See, there's always something about a new year that just seems like it's kind of like a catalyst for change. Uh, people get hopeful when they see a new year coming around when you get into December after Christmas is over with and you start looking for, for new things. We start just thinking about what can I change? What new things can take place? We, we, we'll set new goals. How many of you set new goals? You set new goals. All right, if you're watching this morning, uh, kind of write in if you want. Hey, what were some of the goals that you have set for this year? Uh, we'll start new initiatives. Maybe, um, maybe we'll start like a new campaign. Maybe your, your jo- at your job, your company is starting a new campaign or something, something new. We'll try to develop new habits. I'm not going to say the D word, okay? But, I mean, for, for some reason, when the majority of the word is die, all right, it's not, a, it's not a good way. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's a four-letter word. We're not supposed to say four-letter words. And the first three letters are D-I-E, all right? So uh, you don't do that. But we'll, we'll try to develop new habits. We'll usually change out our Christmas decorations back to our standard decor. But I know some of you are still rocking the Christmas lights. You know, more power to you. Uh, that's cool. Um, but uh, or we'll, update our, we'll update our current look with maybe new throw pillows or something like that. Or take advantage of sales at the at the furniture stores try to update some things maybe you got and maybe you renewed your gym membership that uh, that you renewed the last time you went into the gym was to renew in 2020 uh, kind of like me or maybe you started a new gym membership there's a lot of new things that we do at this time of year there's a lot of things and there's a lot of hopeful optimism about a new year Starting points are important to us. And, and, and really, honestly, should we really get this jazzed about just another day on the calendar? Because really all it is is moving from December 31 to January 1, and you get a new calendar, and it's really just, nothing has really changed other than numbers on a computer screen or numbers, in, you know, numbers on, on a calendar, really. But for some reason, it's good for us to have a mental starting point to put old things away and look towards the new. That's actually a biblical thing to do. 
That's what the Bible says about our salvation, is when we get saved, all things are passed away, and all things are become new. It's wonderful to have the proper starting point, because they're important to us. Matter of fact, if you don't get started on something, you'll never finish it, right? I'm more about the finish. I want to finish my projects. I want to finish them well. But if you never get started, you'll never get to the finish line there. So it's important to have a good start. Most, a- most athletes will tell you that getting off to a good start in a game, or especially in a race, if you're racing or if you're being timed in something, a good start is highly important. A good start will often dictate how well you finish. Getting off to the right start can make or break your success. One of my favorite Disney movies, I've mentioned this one before, one of my favorite Disney movies is a movie from like the 90s, and it was about the Jamaican bobsled team that went to the 1988 Calgary Winter Games. Uh, the movie's called Cool Runnings, and it starred John Candy. John Candy was just kind of one of those guys that just had this like just bubbly persona, and he kind of drew you in no matter what role he was playing. He just kind of drew you into his role. But he played this retired bobsledder who became a coach that had this idea that if he could get four track stars, to be bobsledders, they could be awesome bobsledders. And it was all based upon this one point. He believed with his whole heart that races in bobsledding were won and lost at the starting blocks. There's a scene in the movie where, um, obviously, Jamaican bobsledders, they don't have snow to train on, so he's got this, like, rickety old, like, you know, thing that he put together with, like, a barrel and some wheels and stuff. And he says, guys, races are won and lost at the push start. A push start lasts about six to eight seconds. If you can't get the sled down the hill and in there smoothly, your race is going to be terrible all the way. And so he spends most of his time training his guys on the push start. He says, because races are won and lost at the push start, getting off to a good start is important. Now, I know there's a lot of people out here saying, but what about that phrase, Pastor, that says it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts? And that's absolutely true. There's a lot of people who get off to a good start, and they're terrible closers. They can't finish. How many projects have you started before that are still left undone because you just, you just struggle with the finish, getting them finished? I struggle with that. It drives me crazy. If I start something, I have to finish. And if I don't finish, I cannot rest. Stacy can tell you it is an annoying pet peeve of hers that it's a quality that I have. If I start something, I have to finish it, and I can't really focus on anything else until I do that. It's a sickness that I have, and I'm hoping in 2021 to change that a little bit. So I'm going to start a bunch of stuff and just not finish it at all. All right, so I hope she enjoys that too, okay? <laughs> But it is is important how we finish, but our finishes are a lot of times predicated by the start that we get. So the question that we have this morning, let me ask you this question. What kind of start in 2021 have you gotten off to? What kind of start have you gotten off to in 2021? And I know that this year, this New Year's is different than most of the other New Year's you've ever experienced. Because we go into a new year kind of still hanging and lingering with the same problems of 2020. You can't really just put away a pandemic. You can't put away some of the things that we are facing within our culture and within our society. You can't just put those away because you got a new calendar. They still linger. They're still there, kind of like Ryan said last week in his message. They're still there. So how do we begin and get off to a right start with new optimism and new hope to try to face these same problems that we have? And the best way that we can do this is by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we were going to endure what we endured in 2020. It's the only way we can endure what's going to come in 2021 is by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ and his greatness like we sang about this morning and his goodness that we sang about this morning. Those are more than just words on a screen, folks. That is an anthem of our faith that the Savior that we worship, the God that we serve is good, is good. 
and he's deserving of our praise. So what makes a good start? I believe a good start comes when we remember Jesus Christ and we begin to put him at the forefront of our lives and we put him on the throne of our lives that no matter what may happen, God is still on the throne. Jesus is still my savior. I am his and he is mine. And whatever may come, nothing will ever be able to tear that away. That's how we face a new year. That's how we start on a good start. And there are a couple of ordinances that Jesus gave us when he was here and he was ministering here on earth that he said that we should remember as a church. Now an ordinance is simply this. An, an ordinance is, 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 is something that is given to us to remember and to symbolize important spiritual actions and important spiritual truths. We have two ordinances within the church today. We have baptism and we have communion. Those are the two ordinances that Jesus gave us to remember. Baptism is a one-time ordinance after we get saved that symbolizes the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we are baptized, we are identifying with Jesus Christ by saying, I am following him and I am dying to myself. I am being buried in my sins and I'm being raised to new life in him. Now, it's important to understand that this is a symbolic thing that pictures what's already taken place inside of us the moment that we call upon him as our savior. The moment we are saved, the blood of Jesus is applied and washes away our sins. It's not the water that washes away our sins because blood has always been the currency of forgiveness. But baptism is a one-time after-salvation ordinance that we observe. We don't have to continue to get baptized over and over and over again. After we are saved, we follow the Lord in baptism, and it's a public show of what's already taken place on the inside. And then we have the ordinance of communion. Now, communion is different from baptism in the fact that it is something that we observe, like the Bible says, as often as we choose to do so. There's some churches and some faiths and some, some churches even within the Baptist faith that say, hey, we're going to observe communion. We're going to make it available at every time that we come together for public worship. Nothing wrong with that. We observe communion um, spontaneously. We, put it on, we try to put it on the schedule, but there are other times when if I feel like, you know, just as a leadership, we feel like this is something that would benefit our church and impact our church, we would take it at different times and different seasons. The beginning of the year is kind of something traditionally that we've adopted as a time where we observe the Lord's Supper because it has an impact. Now, it's still, just like baptism, it's a symbolic thing too. We partake of unleavened bread and grape juice. And those are symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That unleavening, the, the fact that it has no leaven in it is kind of a symbol of the fact that Jesus' body had no sin. He was a sinless sacrifice for us. And that grape juice without the fermentation is kind of that, is that, is that picture of the fact that Jesus' blood had no sin and that is why he was the perfect sacrifice for us. It's a symbol. Taking communion doesn't do anything to spiritually cleanse us. Those elements don't do anything specifically, but those elements remind us of what Jesus did miraculously for us. And so each time we take it, it does call us to a place of remembrance. Both of these ordinances, just because they're symbolic, does not mean that they are without effect. Baptism is that first step of obedience, and it has an effect on the candidate, and it also has an effect on the church that watches and celebrates it, and the world that sees the testimony from it. And communion has an effect upon us, and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this morning. Communion, as we see the Apostle Paul this morning is going to, uh, is going to show us, um, it has an effect on us. 
All right. Now, let me give you a little bit of biblical context before we dive into our text, because Paul is not necessarily coming from a real nice, friendly tone here in the text that we're going to read. The church of Corinth was, um, how do I say this in a nice way? They were messed up. They were, they were kind of a messed up church, all right? They were like, it was drama all the time. There was sin, kind of just was rampant within their church. Many of the people within their church were selfish. There was a, a, big, a big class difference in the city of Corinth, like in a lot of Greco-Roman states at that time in the Gentile areas. There was the rich class, there was no middle class, and then there was the poor class. And when you have this church come together, the church is coming together and the, the gospel is reaching into both types of people. And so you have the rich and then you have the poor. You have the, the haves and you have the have-nots coming together to worship Christ. And one of the things that the church did, one of the, the foundational elements of the church is that when you came together, you ate together. You broke bread together. All right, they were, this is how we know the first church was a Baptist church. They loved to get their potluck on. All right, They'd come together. But here was the problem. When they came together, the rich people were saying, we're only going to eat with our folk. And we brought filet mignon and lobster, and that's what we're going to, well, they didn't bring lobster, but you know, they, they brought all that, and they're going to eat that. And then the poor folk didn't have anything, and they did not go to kindergarten and learn how to share. And so the rich folk were kind of, and the poor folk were being d divided and, and held apart And this is where Paul kind of comes in and says, we've got to correct this. This was one of the problems among many of them. And he said when he even came down to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, people were not sharing, people were not passing and, and sharing the elements with one another. If you didn't bring your own elements, you didn't get to participate. And they were gorging themselves on the bread and on the, and on the wine. And then the Bible says, Paul said, look man, because some of you are mistreating the Lord's Supper, some of you are sick, and some of you have actually died. So the Lord's Supper is not without effect. The Lord's Supper is not without its effects and its impacts. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at the communion effect, the Lord's Supper, and how it impacts our church and why I believe it's a good start. So let's look this morning in verse number 17. And again, Paul is not coming from a tone of, of nicey-nice right now. He's coming from a tone of, you guys need to get this together. By the way, there's, there's two letters to the church at Corinth, which means they, they just could not get it together. He took two letters to try to correct them. Anyway, verse number 17. Hopefully that makes you feel better. Let's know that somebody was, was worse off than you, right? Verse number 17. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. <laughs> All right? So get that. In giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Imagine that. One of the founders of the church, one of the founding fathers of the church, who looks at the church and says, when you get together, it's bad. Your worship services, the, you all getting together, it'd be better that you didn't get together. He says, when you get together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For I begin, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be, fraction, or that there be factions among you, so that those who, approved, who are approved may be recognized among you. But when you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one of you eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk. Do, don't you have homes in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I don't praise you in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body or eats and drinks unworthily will eat and drink judgment and damnation upon himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that as we read your word, as we study this passage of scripture together, that you would give us insight, holy insight as to how we should approach the elements that represent your holy body and your pure, sinless blood. I pray this morning that you would speak to us, and I pray this morning that we would be submissive to your spirit, and that we would be, in all sobriety, approach this new year with our eyes fixed firmly and completely upon you. And Lord, we cannot look to you that we don't see the vision of the cross, the sacrifice that you made for us. I pray this morning that you would move in this time. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So the Corinthian church had definitely taken a good thing and made it something that Jesus would not be proud of. They'd taken a good thing, something that Jesus had given as a good start, and they made it bad. And because of that, they were not seeing the proper effects of the ordinance upon the body. So today I want to look at four intended effects that we see in this passage that the church in Corinth was not seeing take place that we need to desire in our church for a new year. And the first thing is that one of the effects of the Lord's Supper, one of the reasons that Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper is to be unified. It has a way of unifying the body of believers together. It pulls us together. I don't know about you, but Monday through Saturday, we're scattered everywhere, right? And we're, we, we've got work, and we've got kids, and we've got school, and we've got all of these things going on, it has an effect of kind of pulling us away from each other. I would venture to say that if we don't intentionally do this, we can forget about each other through the week, can't we? Now, if we take that one further, if we don't do it intentionally, we can also tend to forget about God, and we can tend to kind of push Jesus to the back burner and all the other things that are going on. And here's what, com what Jesus says with communion, when you come together, it will draw you together. This is what Paul said that Jesus had in mind when he instituted communion. If you're still in 1 Corinthians 11, just turn back one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul is still addressing some of the disorder in the Corinthian church. And he says this in verse number 16. He says, here's the purpose of communion. Here's what you need to have your mind set on. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is, not, is it not a sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, since all of us share in that one bread. Now what Paul is saying, he's teaching a very doctrinal, theological, uh, important fact that we cannot stray from, is that in Christ, all of us are made one. All of us. This is why the Bible says there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is not male, there is not female, there is not rich, there is not poor. There is just sons and daughters of God in Jesus Christ. 
This is why we say, we, we, hear that, uh, we hear that phrase sometimes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because in verse number 17, Paul notes that we as children of God are all, even, through our, even though our numbers may be many, we are of one body, we're unified by, the Christ in the body, by, by Christ in the body of Christ together. See, one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper today is for the purpose of unifying us and bringing each member of the body of Christ closer together. I don't know about you, but coming through a contentious year and a rough year like we did in 2020, where we've had a pandemic, where there's people fighting, where there people were fighting over masks and over this and that and the other, and then we had an election and people were fighting over political differences, and we've seen we've seen such uh, we're seeing such such racial struggles within our country as well, where we're being tempted to only see people by the color of our skin. The body of Christ needs to stand unified in a world that is divided. That's why I think it's important that we be brought back to the Lord's table to be reminded Jesus died and he shed his blood for all. And it unites us together. What can unity do for a church? It can only do good things, right? What can unity do for a church? It can only do good things. As a spiritual family... We are encouraged to break bread together. And when we meet to eat, we also talk and we communicate and it promotes togetherness and unity. But the, but the Lord's table, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to get full on this little thimble full of juice and this little wafer, okay? But I will hopefully be full of the remembrance of Jesus Christ. And that unifies us together. See, communion unifies us towards Christ. It brings us in the body of Christ together for the common purpose of remembering his sacrifice for us and his goal for us. So when that happens, the body of Christ is reminded of our goal to glorify God and to reach people. There's something about looking at those elements and thinking about the body and the blood of Christ and what he did on the cross that kind of puts us down here and Jesus up here. And somewhere in the humility of being here and Jesus up here, we get this plane where we can see other people a lot better too. See, when we come together for that, it unifies us to see one another. Unity can't happen if we don't look at our brother and sister before we look at ourselves. So at the onset of a new year, we need to be reminded of the importance of, u- of unity in the body of Christ. I talked about my favorite movie being, uh, my favorite Disney movie being Cool Runnings. Let me give you another one of my favorites from back in Derek's, back in Derek's childhood, and that was the movie The Mighty Ducks. Anybody, anybody remember the movie The Mighty Ducks? Okay, right? Emilio Estevez. <sighs> Not as charismatic as John Candy, but, you know, he did a pretty good job. Emilio Estevez plays this lawyer who ends up getting in trouble, and he's given community service, and he has to coach this peewee hockey team. All right? And so in the first movie, he coaches this peewee hockey team, and they win the championship, and it's awesome, and everybody holds on to it. And then magically, in, in, in D2, The Mighty Ducks Part 2, this team is selected to be the junior national team, and they add a few all-stars in from around the world. Well, this is a picture of their first practice, or actually their second practice, because their first practice was a complete disaster, because you had this team, and then you had these all-stars they wanted to kind of put together, and the whole movie is about him trying to mesh these people together to play as one unit. Well, he ties them all together with a rope. This is what you see him there. And he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to just start skating. We're going to do skating practice. He ties them all together. He says, skate. And they start fighting over which way they're going to go. And so everybody decides they're going to go their own way, and then, and then in, the next, in the next scene, what you see is they all end up on the ground, all roped together and fighting with each other and stuff like that. And they say, you should have listened to me. No, you should have listened to me. And the coach says this as the ropes are coming off, and he says, listen, 
He says, this is what I was trying to prove to you. Everybody has their own direction. Nobody goes anywhere. The team can't succeed this way. So he ties them back together, and he says, now as one, skate. One person stands to the room and says, okay, we're going to go right. And then they begin to skate. It's a beautiful thing. And they come together, and they win the world championship. And it's, it's amazing. It's a feel-good movie, right? It wouldn't be a Disney movie if it wasn't, right? And ironically, since it's a Disney movie, no one's mom dies in it. All right? Everybody's mom stays alive. So that's another point plus for the Disney movie, right? Uh, go back and watch some Disney movie. Every mom dies in Disney. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Walt had some issues. But anyway, the same is true for church. As a church, we're composed of many different people with different opinions, different styles. I think 2020 has brought that out, right? We have different opinions. We have different styles. But as a church, we are never going to get anywhere that Christ called us to unless we learn to move together as one in his direction. So this is where communion brings us back in unity. And this is where we come to a question of this, is who can and who is meant to participate in communion? Communion is an ordinance for the church. It's for the body of believers. It's for those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. So today, if you, are not, if you are not a Christian, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, no one's to judge you or anything like that, but I would just encourage you to not partake of the elements that we are taking today because your need is greater than communion. Your need is Jesus. Your need is Jesus. We practice what's called close communion, meaning those who are part of the body of Christ may participate. There are some churches who practice closed communion, meaning if you're only on the membership role of that particular church. Uh, we practice close communion, meaning that if you are part of the body of Christ, you can participate with us. So the first thing is a unifying effect. The second thing is that it has a cleansing effect. And this is something that we need every day of our lives. We need to be cleansed. That's the purpose of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ was shed to wash and blot our sins. Communion has a cleansing effect because it calls us to consider the blood of Christ that washes us clean, but it also, it also says that we must consider how clean we are before we approach the table. How many of you had a mom or a dad who was a stickler that when you came to eat, you had to wash your hands before you came to eat? Especially now, right? None of you did? Okay, that's why we've got COVID going around right now, guys, okay? Wash your hands before you eat, okay? That may be news to everyone, but wash your hands before you eat. It's a good idea, but it has a cleansing effect. Now let's look at verse number 27 of our text in chapter 11. He says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy, manny, uh, unworthy, manny, unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. And let him eat and eat the bread and drink from the cup. See, what we're seeing here is that there is an inherent danger or risk that you pose to yourself in participating in the ordinance of communion. See, Paul said that there is a very serious danger in participating in the communion or, or partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Well, what does that mean, if I'm unworthy of it? It means if I'm just approaching the table flippantly, it's like, yeah, I got my, I got my church snack today. I got my communion lunchable, and this, this is cool. This is a little different than what we normally do, and so it's great. I get some grape juice, and I get, I get a cracker, and that's cool. If you approach it without sincerity, and you approach it with flippancy, without reverence towards God, that is unworthy. Also, if we approach the Lord's table with known sin in our heart that we are refusing to repent of, 
refusing to turn from, refusing to ask the Lord's help in the struggle. I'm not saying if you, don't, if you struggle with sin, you shouldn't participate. I'm saying if you are struggling with sin and you're fine with the struggle and you don't see any need to turn from that, and you're not pleading the Lord's help in that, then please refrain from participating in the Lord's Supper today because that's what makes us unworthy. There's a danger that there are many in the Corinthian church who were sick and there are many in the Corinthian church who Paul said had died because they had approached the Lord's table unworthily. So we need to cleanse before we partake. It's not communion that cleanses us, it's the preparation before we take. In just a moment before we do, we're going to have an invitation. And we have an invitation at every service. But in this invitation, it's going to be for personal assessment, personal examination. Say, Lord, if there's any sin in my life, please bring it to my attention with the idea and with the heart intent that I no longer want that sin in my life. I want you to forgive it. I want you to wash it away. And I repent and I want to walk as close to you as I possibly can. See, what's so cleansing about communion is that preparation. See, verse 28 says, we should examine ourselves, examine our lives and hearts, and confess any known sin and confess that sin before we partake of the elements. So like I said, in a practical sense, it's like we're washing up before dinner time. Don't bring our sin that separates us from God to the table with Jesus, with elements that represent what he had to, what he had to break and spill to cleanse us from those sins. So with the new year approaching, it provides a good start to become clean and fresh. You see, I love a new calendar, right? The desk calendar that I can get. Most of my calendar now is on my phone, but I have a calendar that sits on my desk, and I love it when it's fresh and clean. There's not a mark on it yet. That's awesome. I love that. Eventually, though, stuff starts to fill that out. In just a few minutes, we want to approach with that clean slate with God. We want to approach the Lord's table with that. The, second, the, the, the third thing that we have is not only a unifying effect, a cleansing effect, but also it's a humbling effect. It's a humbling effect. I don't know about you, but when I examine myself and I say, okay, Derek, have you been a good boy or a bad boy? Most of the time, Derek's been a bad boy because all of us stub our toes. All of us walk in a world that is ruled by sin and we're to walk in a way that is ruled by righteousness. But we stub our toes, right? We fail. This is why we have a forgiving God who is unconditionally loving, unflinching in his mercy, and unrelenting in his grace. God knows we're going to sin. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, yet he was perfect, but he was also 100% God. We are just 100% human, which means that temptation sometimes can overcome us if it is not for adhering and clinging to the power of God in our lives. So when we look at ourselves and we take examination, we're going to find that there are some things that stand between us and our relationship with God. Every time we look at the majesty of Christ, it reveals the unmajesty of us. I just made that word up, by the way. So in verse number 31 of our text, it says, if we were properly judging ourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. I love what verse number 31 says. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. What Paul's really saying here, the underlying truth in this, is if we would spend more time judging ourselves than what we're really good at, judging everybody else, then we wouldn't stand judgment. If we would judge ourselves the way we judge other people, we would be like dealing with our sin on a more regular basis than we do. 
This is why communion is sometimes necessary for us, is because for some of us, the last time we really took a real inventory of our sin was the last time I stood up here and says, take inventory of your sin before you receive, the, receive communion, if we're being honest. We need to be taking a daily inventory of where we stand in our sin. If we would judge ourselves, and we would not be judged. But we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. What happens when we judge ourselves? Well, number one, we begin to see our shortcomings and our failures. We're also reminded just how amazing and vast and deep God's grace is. Every time I think about my sinfulness, I'm reminded even more about how good God is and just how perfect He is and how holy He is and His grace upon me. And we see just how much He loves us and how unworthy we are of the love and the forgiveness that He has offered. This is why Paul says, spend more time judging yourself than judging others. Because when we judge others, guess what? We become the judge. We begin to look at God as someone who just should just dole out nothing but punishment rather than grace. If we judge ourselves, we find ourselves begging for grace. When we judge others, we find ourselves begging for condemnation on them. Judge ourselves rather than others. See, I'm personally always humbled when I take communion because the symbolic elements of the body and the blood of Christ remind me that the pure blood was spilled for my sins, and that the perfect body of Christ was broken and ripped for my transgressions. We're humbled and we feel unworthy of His grace, but encouraged and uplifted in gratitude because He still provides grace. And not only does He provide grace, He invites us to His table as a member of the family. It's important to remember that we need to be humble in order to get off to the right start. One of the best pieces of advice I received when I graduated from high school came from a friend, and uh, she said this. She said, Derek, just don't, no matter where you go, don't forget where you came from. Of course, I never strayed very far. I'm still in the same town, same church, doing, doing things, but don't forget where you came from. That's wonderful advice. No matter how good we get, no matter how big we may get, never forget your roots. Never forget where you came from. David says this multiple times in Psalms when he says, God pulled me from a pit, from miry clay, from quicksand, and set his feet on a steady rock. Communion reminds us that Jesus reached down into the depths of our sin and pulled us out through his sacrifice. It humbles us. Never forget where we came from. And then lastly and quickly, communion has an effect upon our perspective. It will have the proper effect on our perspective. In verse 25, it says, Jesus took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when you take communion, do it to remember me. Jesus said that we should observe communion no matter how many times. Don't do it just to be doing it. Don't do it just to fill the calendar. Don't do it just because, oh, it's the 13th week of the year or whatever like that. Do it because it calls you to remember me. Because Christ should be our focus at all times. Not just while we take communion. Christ should be our focus at all times. How much better are our days going to be when we keep our eyes fixed on Christ? Ask Peter about that. The minute he took his eyes off of Jesus in the water, he fell through. If we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, things begin to fall in its proper perspective. See, we just closed out a very difficult year. And it's probably one of the most difficult years that I've ever been through. Ever. As we get ready to move towards our invitation. I saw a random tweet on Twitter last, uh, th last week that asked, right before New Year's hit, says, in what ways has 2020 brought you closer to Christ? 
And I just got to be transparent and I got to be honest. Ryan was very honest last week too when he said that 2020 and the trials and the things he went through, he felt like it served to disconnect him from God rather than connect him. And he's not the only one. I felt that way too. There were times this year that I felt angry. There were times this past year where I felt numb, where I felt depressed, where I felt unmotivated. There were times this year where I felt like my prayers were not reaching the top of the ceiling. There were times this year I would sit down and say, okay, I'm going to read the Word of God, and I would just sit and stare at the pages. I just kind of felt like I was in this just spiritually blah place. And that wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't God's fault. I could try to blame it on all the other stuff going on. Here's where the fault laid. I took my eyes off of Jesus and put it on all the other stuff. So because while I was looking and staring at those pages, I was thinking about the news reports that were talking about rioting in the streets and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And I was thinking about the pandemic and people who were losing their lives and people who, you know, checking out news stories of people fighting over wearing masks and not wearing masks and I was thinking about how do we open church back up and how do we not. I was mad that we had really were a year into our replant and getting great momentum, new people coming, people getting saved. We were baptizing people and we had started our Who's Your One campaign and just like that, everything shut down. Had all these plans and like I said, I'm a finisher, man. I didn't, I had to put them on pause. I let all those things begin to affect and over time I felt, I look back and I'm thinking, man, I've drifted. I've drifted because I'd lost my perspective. I put my eyes on all that other stuff and I didn't keep my eyes on the one who makes everything make sense. Maybe that's your testimony too. And I hope that doesn't make you look at me and say, man, you're supposed to be our spiritual leader. How could you do that? I just want to be honest and vulnerable here. We're human. We're human. And so for me, that's been my place of coming back and saying I need cleansing and the fact that I need to put my eyes and fix my eyes back on you. Because personally, I still did my job. I still preached. I still, you know, God showed up on all of those things and carried me through. But personally, I knew that there was like a distance there. And so I've had to rededicate myself to him and say, Lord, with your strength, I don't just want to be faithful to a checklist. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want, to, I want you to guide my every step. Keeping a focus on him keeps our perspective where it needs to be. So as we close out this morning, I want to ask you this. What's your perspective? Is it on Jesus? See, a, a Christ-centered perspective will unify a church. It'll call us to regular cleansing. It'll keep us humble. And it'll put everything right where it belongs. A Christ-centered perspective will add real life to your life, too. It'll add life to your years. It'll add purpose to your plans. And I believe this is why Jesus gave us this ordinance that we're going to take. Because it refocuses us upon him. His sacrifice for us, what he was willing to do so that we could be with him. So as we approach this time of self-examination this morning, I ask you this. Is Jesus at the center? If he is not... Let's ask him, God, reveal to me what stands in the way. Reveal to me what's actually sitting on the throne that you should occupy. Reveal to me those things. So let's take an assessment. Would you say this morning, I'm pursuing unity through Christ with my brothers and sisters? Are you seeking to bring those who don't know Christ into unity with him through salvation?
and a personal relationship with him? Are you pursuing unity? Are you pr pursuing personal purity in your life? Do you find yourself regularly doing inventory, saying, Lord, forgive me, broken over your sin and the damage it does to our relationship with him? Are we living in pride and arrogance or are we living in humility? And is our perspective upon him? So those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning as we take personal inventory and as we examine ourselves. Now this morning, I know that you may not be comfortable crowding around a, an altar, so if you feel more comfortable praying in your seat, but let's do business with God. And so this morning, I'm going to just have Ryan play. You can sit where you are, but if you'd like to come and pray, you can. But let's, do, let's have a moment of examination before we receive the elements today. Father, be, will, be, be ever present in our hearts. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.